If you find yourself in a line today, maybe you're in line at Tim Hortons. Maybe you're in line for ice cream. Something good. I mean, if you're in line at the Ministry of Transportation, eh, it's not going to work out too well. But if you see someone in that line with you, and they'll have this look, their eyes will be empty. They will not be smiling. They might be looking at the ground. Every once in a while, they might just put their hand through their hair and go, ah. That's completely normal. And what you need to do if you see any of those signs, the empty eyes, lack of smile, that noise, you need to turn and say, could I buy you a coffee? You need to turn and say, could I get you your ice cream? You might even, if you're at the Ministry of Transportation or Service Canada, you could say to them, can I let you go in front of me in line? Because chances are that person is a fan of Germany. And that person is going to struggle with the next few days if they are soccer watchers because Germany's out of the World Cup. We're going to head to the German-Canadian club in about 12 minutes, see how things are going over there. This has never happened before. Never. Defending champions. Look at all this stuff. Germany should repeat at World Cup. Germany and Brazil, top two teams at World Cup. Germany looks to continue success at World Cup. It didn't happen. They lost today to South Korea 2-0. They're out. So that's one of the things that is kind of quivering around the world a little bit while the World Cup goes on. We are also going to be talking about something that is coming on Sunday. Perhaps you've heard of it. It's not free agency in anything. It's July 1st, and it's the time of year when we take stock of ourselves as Canadians. And Historica Canada has done something kind of unique. You know, we spend a lot of time finding the easy way to do things. Well, Historica Canada has upped the ante this year. And in fact, they are going to be on the Craig Needle Show tomorrow talking about this. But we'll highlight a few things just so that you're prepared for that interview. What they have done is they have put out a, a little quiz. They do this quite a bit. They have quizzes like, how Canadian are you? And questions on that quiz are, what's a double-double? And they even make it multiple choice for you. Coffee, gum, cheeseburger. Hopefully you get it. Uh, where does a toque go? Finger, sofa, couch. Why does it say, you know, or finger, sofa, and head, I guess, are the answers. Not finger, sofa, couch. I wonder, why does it not say couch? Is the word sofa even Canadian? That's not Canadian. Who wrote this? Historica Canada. That should say couch. Finger, couch, head. Uh, main ingredient in poutine. This is a tough one because they say fries, cheese, curd, and bacon. What would be m- the more main ingredient would it be the fries or would it be the cheese curd because it's not poutine without the curd but the base of it is fries i don't even know the answer to that one i'd get it wrong well they upped the ante this year and they asked all kinds of questions and kind of tested what we know about some of the better stories of canadian history like the time john turner saved john diefenbaker that's pretty crazy uh, they talked about Ogopogo. They talked about Kiefer Sutherland and whether or not he is a grandson of Tommy Douglas. By the way, he is. So they did all of that, and Canadians on the whole didn't do very well. Uh, 49%, 50%, 61% were kind of in that range. 
And so we'll go over some of that because Craig's going to find out why they decided to change from what's a double-double or where does a toque go to film actress Mary Pickford, known as America's Sweetheart, was actually Canadian true or false? The answer is true, but only 47% of people knew that. So that's coming up tomorrow on The Craig Needle Show, but we'll touch on some of the answers because I find this fascinating. What can be more Canadian, though, than a federal election? If we were to describe the most Canadian thing there was, that would have to be up there, just by default. It's a federal election. You're electing the next leader in Canada. And the federal election, the next one, is scheduled for October 21st, 2019. But all of a sudden, people have been playing around with this a little bit because Susan Delacourt, who is a Western grad, wrote about it, wondering, hmm... Wrote a column saying, what would be the possibility of a summer election? And then Andrew Coyne picked that up in the National Post, and he wrote a little bit about it. And you start thinking, Justin Trudeau's got a lot of difficult stuff. That's what Susan Delacourt and Andrew Coyne both point out. A lot of difficult stuff on his plate. Forget the fact that every time Donald Trump gets an opportunity to, he knocks Justin Trudeau and calls him weak. He loves to use that word around Justin Trudeau. Calls him weak. Or we've got pipelines to figure out. We've got a lot of things happening. We've got tariffs now that are big issues. How big, how far do you go in the tariff war? So would it be in the best interest of the liberals to call an election now and make it just a big Canadian summer, a summer of campaigns right on into maybe the early fall, and then we could follow that up with our municipal election, and we could do provincial, municipal, and federal all in the span of about Five, six months. Well, let's dig into that a little bit, because joining us right now is Fanshawe College professor Matt Farrell. Professor Farrell, how are things? I'm well, Mike. How are you? Not bad. You've seen a little bit of this writing. Obviously, people are having a little fun with this, but if you look at it from a strategy standpoint, is there anything here that makes a little bit of sense? There's maybe a, a little sliver of uh, of common sense in here. A couple nuggets that might be appealing for the Prime Minister to go ahead and call an early election. And I think a lot of that has to do with the opposition. When he looks at the polling, the Prime Minister looks at the generic ballot polling, he sees that the Liberals are up a bit. And that's, I would suspect, basking in some of the favorable media attention. And so you, you alluded to Do- Donald Trump in your, your intro there. He hurls insults our way. I think that I don't know if that offends our Canadian sensibilities and that, that looks like it's translating into some support for the Liberals and the Prime Minister more specifically. So that's he's got that going for him. I would also think that he's he's noticing that there's a gap in popularity between here and the party itself. Uh, while there's a lot of uh, support for the Conservative Party. But that drops to about 25% when, when you just talk about the leaders. And so from a leader-to-leader perspective, Trudeau's got about a 15-point edge on uh, on Shear. So that, I think, there could be some rationale made that because of that, because you, you do have some, um, some popularity vis-a-vis Donald Trump, and then you're also in a position uh, to, to, to go after it. Andrew Scheer in an election campaign who isn't really polling that strongly as the leader of the party. I think those two things potentially uh, make a case for an early election, but I think the uh, the evidence on the other side, I think, is far more weighty. 
Professor Matt Farrell joining us from Fanshawe College as we take a look at whether or not you could call a federal election and gain something from it if you were the Liberals. The date is set, and it should be one of those dates that's set in stone, October 21st of 2019, but there are ways around that. Uh, Professor Farrell, when you look ahead at what the liberals will have to deal with, whether it's the trade war, whether it's U.S. relations, whether it is pipelines. Is there anything you think the Canadians are going to watch and say, oh, I don't like what they did there, and that would give them a major hit? Is there anything that they'd be kind of concerned about? I, I think you're absolutely right. And frankly, I don't know if there's anything from a, a policy perspective that the, the, the Trudeau liberals would want to run on right now. Frankly, they had um, when you, when you look at just this this recent sitting, the uh, marijuana legislation that was by no means a slam dunk. There's a lot of procedural hiccups back and forth with the Senate missing the the deadline, and so that's not really something you want to hang your hat on and, and run on as a success. There's um, a recent by election that uh, they lost in Shakutami. So again, you've got those two negatives that are, are are some of the most recent quote accomplishments, and then on top of that. You alluded to the pipeline politics, the ongoing NAFTA negotiations. I don't think any of those uh, indicate that it would be a good idea to, to to campaign right now based on that landscape. And I think we could also, you know, we can see the opposition strategy here. We just today there was an announcement from the Conservative Party that they were going to embark on this cross-Canada local jobs tour and start a local jobs coalition. I think that's exactly the kind of thinking that they're that they're anticipating as well that right now sure if, if on a national level vis-a-vis you know uh, Donald Trump in the United States Trudeau's doing well but once tariffs kick in once these negative stories come out about mom and pop shops across Canada closing up these personal stories of of, of people losing their livelihoods that really plays into the conservative strengths and so by the timing of this local jobs tour it's almost as if they're they're anticipating that sort of that, that sort of news to start coming out over the next months and uh and and maybe even longer who knows so i think for them they're they're seeing that writing on the wall and i i would think that the prime minister would want to notice that as well that you do not want to be campaigning when there's story after story coming out of people losing their jobs and 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 factories closing because of tariffs and we're looking at 15 months away things probably won't clear up completely in any of those situations in the next 15 months. But you're not hearing anything that the, the, the Liberals are are perhaps considering this, or do you expect to hear anything that, that maybe they would just to get ahead of a, a tidal wave? I, I wouldn't want to put any money on it myself. I suspect that these, uh, you know, the recent wave of, of writing could be almost a trial balloon. And maybe some uh, some people close to the prime minister have uh, you know, put some blood in the reporters' ears to get this circulating, get people talking about it. But uh, frankly, this I don't know if it's a good strategy at this point. And uh, there's a record with snap elections: Pauline Marois, Jim Perkins, he close at home here, David Peterson. We've had a lot of uh, in, in that case premiers 
get bitten by uh, by their decision to, to call a snap election. Now, Jean Chrétien had some success doing it, but I think he was dealing with a very different opposition party than Justin Trudeau is. So I, I'm, I, I'm not thinking it's a good idea. I, I suspect that these this just could be a trial balloon. Maybe that's it. Gotcha. Professor Farrell, thank you for the conversation. My pleasure, Mike. All the best. That is Professor Matt Farrell from Fanshawe College. So this is something that was floated in the media, but it's interesting to look at. And you know what? Professor Farrell brings up a pretty interesting point, because if you are in a race, and we were talking about racing yesterday, you have to know when to speed up. You have to know when you see your opportunities. If you're ever in a road race and there is a corner, and you know that you're ahead of somebody by just a little bit, and they can't see you as you go around that corner, you should sprint so that when they get around the corner, they think, oh, look at how far behind. Am I slowing down? It's head games. If there is a hill, pump your arms and legs to get up that hill so that the person behind you says, how do they have this energy? How? Wow, I'm done for. And you'll shake them off. And that's what you have to know how to do in absolutely anything that you are vying for. Politics, no different. So if the conservatives are looking right now and saying, yeah, we're going to start this little tour and we're going to start talking to people who are going to resonate with the rest of the country. Hey, look, this person used to own a shop. Hey, look, this person used to own a corner store. Hey, look, this person used to own their own restaurant. Now all three of them have struggled to the point that they're either giving up or thinking about giving up. Is that what you want in your Canada? And that reflects poorly on the liberals. So that's, that's a great strategy. It's always easiest to try and catch the person who is in front because you know exactly where they are. You know exactly what they're doing. When you don't have the luxury of eyes in the back of your head or being able to see the person in front of you, that race gets a whole lot more challenging. And that race for Justin Trudeau is going to be challenging over the next 15 months. Things got challenging for Germany at the World Cup to the point they're out. We'll head to the German-Canadian club next. This is London Live on Global News Radio 980 CFPL. Coming up, we are going to be joined in studio by Mohammed Hamoud. And we said we would have him back, and today's the day. He gave a TEDx talk on Islamophobia in the United States about a month ago. And so he's going to join us and just talk a little bit, and we'll look back at at maybe the Supreme Court decision from yesterday on the travel ban that was upheld in the United States. And we're going to look at, at forms of racism in certain communities. So that is after news at 1.30. Right now, we want to go to a place where, you know what, there, there's a lot of heads hanging low. The German-Canadian club is always a happy, festive place filled with amazing people. <sighs> Germany's out of the World Cup. The president of the German-Canadian club, Jürgen Bell, is with us. Jürgen, our sympathies. This this is tough. Yes, it is very tough. Uh, something hard to take by a lot of uh, German supporters, German supporters, and it's not just the German people. It's anybody who, uh, who, who kind of uh, supports Germany through the World Cup, uh, any nationality. Uh, it, it showed, it was really showed when, uh, when the game was over. In fact, our entire hall, Pretty well emptied in about three minutes. Uh, a few of the diehards stayed around. We're still talking about the game, uh, you know. And, and as your as your quarterback, as your uh, 
Chesterfield quarterbacks, you know, uh, and coaches were were saying, "We get rid of this guy, get rid of that guy, bring in this guy, bring in that guy." But who knows what's going to happen now? Wow. When a match like this is taking place where a team has to win, sometimes you've got all kinds of cheering going on and, and yes. there's a there's a good, hopeful atmosphere. Was it quiet and tense this morning? Uh, no, I mean, the, every, every time something good was done by the Germans, there was slapping. Every time there was something that they felt was bad, you know, they were not the booing, but they're going like, you know, the oohs and the ahs and going, oh, why did you do that? type of thing. Uh, it was a very positive right till the end, but it got very, very tense in the last 10 minutes uh, because of the uh, roster changes that were done by the coach, the manager, Love, and then that type of thing. And, you know, they needed to put this guy in earlier. They needed this guy off. But again, it's, uh, I can understand the, the coach's perspective in how difficult it is to get that winning combination. You have to understand that Germany, uh, Germany is the former, is the champion, was the champion up until the, this today. They were the champion. So uh, all the teams are, are geared towards beating the champion. That, that's the way I always looked at it when I played soccer. You know, you're, oh, this guy was a champion last year, so we need to play better against them. And this is what happens. Or if a team is going to be knocked out, as, uh, as per se as uh, South Korea, uh, they, they put on a great show and, and, and they were stoned. They were total, the Germans were totally stoned by the goalie. The goalie for South Korea was absolutely amazing. They couldn't, Germany could not do anything. They could not get nothing by him. Jürgen Bell with us. He is the president of the German-Canadian club. Jürgen, this is a first for absolutely everybody who came and cheered for Germany this morning. They have never failed to advance from the group stage. What do you think of all the people who went spilling back out of the German-Canadian club this morning? Are they going to still watch the World Cup or they'll wait um, for 2020? Or 2022? No, uh, we're, no, we're not. We're not. Uh, we've already uh, uh, rebranded ourselves because we're a very uh, open, open club. We welcome everybody that w- that has soccer in their blood. Uh, we have now uh, officially. We've been talking with some of my board members, and they were, we're actually going to be making this our South American headquarters uh, for the rest of the World Cup. We will be showing. Uh, if by request by anybody who wants to come down, uh, we will open up for for people who want to watch the game. And because we have a great, uh, we have three viewing rooms, different size screens, and that type of thing. And we will actually be showing these semifinals. We will show the semifinals regardless. We will be showing the third place game and the final regardless. It's it's all about uh, the atmosphere. It's all about the World Cup. We are still soccer fans. We are very disappointed that Germany lost and was knocked out of the competition, as you said, the very first time in the history of the World Cup that Germany has not advanced from the group stage. Well, Jürgen, thank you for doing that. Keep that soccer spirit alive, and uh, Euro 2020 will be here before you know it. Thanks so much for the time. Okay, Okay, thank you. That is Jürgen Bell, president of the German-Canadian club. What did he say, three minutes? And the place had emptied out this morning. Germany does not advance at the World Cup. You'll be hearing about it for the next day and beyond. We are going to get Canadian in about five minutes because we'll go through what Historica Canada has put together. Again, we're going to have somebody from Historica Canada on the Craig Needle Show tomorrow morning. And they'll talk about why it is that they went in this direction. Because around Canada Day, and it's Sunday, we have all kinds of little quizzes that they are usually big proponents in putting together. And some of them are even handled by the governor general at the time. And so they hype this up pretty well. And this year, 
they made it tough. And Canadians on the whole who took this from Historica Canada did not do very well. So we'll kind of give you an idea of what made it so difficult. And then Mohammed Hamoud is going to join us in studio. Next, we have Jacqueline LaBelle and news. My name is Mike Stubbs. You're listening to Global News Radio, 980 CFPL. We have Blue Jays baseball coming up for you at 2 o'clock. Blue Jays taking on the Houston Astros. And when you face the Astros, they're just going to have a good pitcher going. Dallas Keuchel is pitching today against Marco Estrada of the Blue Jays. And although Keuchel looks like he's having an off year at 4-8, and eight, he hasn't allowed a run in his last two appearances. So... Pre-game show will get going at 2 o'clock. First pitch is slated for about 2.10. Historica Canada always does a great job in helping us test out our Canadian knowledge right around this time of year. You're going to see more, hear more as we head towards Sunday and Canada Day. Pick out your red shirt. They usually make their little quizzes and their little checks and balances of how Canadian you feel, how much you know about this country, fairly simple. I mean, if you go back to some of their quizzes, we mentioned a couple of questions off the start of the show. Here's another one. Who are the crazy Canucks? Can you get this? Who are the crazy Canucks? And they make it multiple choice. Are they a group of chefs? Are they skiers? Or are the crazy Canucks a band? Well, they're skiers. Ken Reed, Steve Podborski, Todd Brooker, the yellow ski suits. Who could forget? The flavor of potato chips exclusive to Canada. Ketchup, dill pickle, or maple bacon. Look at how easy they're making this. Maple bacon's not even really a flavor. I don't have that. Somebody might make it up as just one of those, hey, here's we're, we're a brand of chips that nobody knows that much about. Here's maple bacon flavor right next to uh, diesel exhaust flavor. Let's try that. So ketchup. Yeah, you can't get ketchup chips anywhere. We mail at least two bags of what probably become ketchup sand to the U.K. every year because my wife's sister lives there. They can't get ketchup chips. She misses them. Anytime you send kind of, hey, you're, if you're sending a birthday gift, could you also, could you make sure and put in some ketchup chips? I don't know how enjoyable they are. Can you piece them back together in the U.K.? Do they have special machines for that? So that's normally what it is. It's easy stuff. Although I still struggle with the main ingredient in poutine. Can you help me out with this? If somebody knows, can you send me an email? Mike at 980cfpl.ca. Is the main ingredient in poutine cheese, curd, or fries? Poutine's not poutine without the curd. But there is one apparent main ingredient, which would seem to be fries. But I would say cheese, curd, you can make an argument for that. This is like a psychology exam. Well, two of these are right. Which one is most right? I don't know. Fries, cheese curd. If you can help me out with that, because I'm not sure. But they have put out a brand new quiz. And this one deals with some of our Canadian heritage that has some pretty cool stories to it. So how much do we truly know about Canadian history? And if you've ever looked around the world and said, oh, British history, that's so interesting. Or American history. Look at all the things that have happened in American history. There's a lot of really neat stories there. Gee, ho, I wish we had some of those. Well, Historica Canada seems to have shown that we do. However, we appear to be very unaware of these things because of this new test that I believe has 30 questions on it. They're all true-false. 
So this is a true-false test. So you have a 50-50 chance at getting this right. As they like to say about multiple choice, if you give this to a primate with a pen and there are four possible answers, a primate will get 25%. So you would have to think that if you give this to your favorite orangutan, they will get 50% on this. Well, this survey found that 62% of people who took the quiz failed. 62%? You could just random, you wouldn't even have to read the questions, and you should be able to score higher than a 38. Just uh, T, F, F, T, 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 F, T, F. Who knows? You probably would do better. So, what was it about this? Well, there were all kinds of wild stories. John Diefenbaker and John Turner, from different backgrounds, from different parties, were on vacation together in 1965. And John Diefenbaker actually had to be rescued from the ocean. And the guy who rescued him? John Turner. See, we don't know those stories. Why don't we know that story? Why is that not a story that that's on the first day of history class in grade six? You know what? If you throw that story at a bunch of students in grade six, they're hooked. They're hooked for the rest of their educational careers. Because, well, remember the story about the guy? He would have died, but the, the other future prime minister rescued him from the ocean in Barbados? That was cool. When do we get another story like that? You can string them along for years. Oh, there's got to be other stories about ocean rescues. But if we look at some of the other things that they touched on, they touched on Paul Henderson and where he was born. He was born in a sleigh. Who knew that? That's really Canadian, to be born in a sleigh. That X-Men actually has a Canadian connection. Because only 48% of respondents knew that Wolverine had a Canadian backstory based on his birth in Alberta. Hmm? Who knew that? And that Kiefer Sutherland is a grandson of Tommy Douglas. So this is the kind of stuff that they looked into. Uh, By the way, St. Paul, Alberta, home to the world's first UFO landing pad. I think they're still waiting for a UFO to arrive, but they're giving this a shot. So Historic Canada will be on 980 CFPL tomorrow on the Craig Needle Show, and they'll tell us what their intentions were from all of this, what they were hoping to do. But that's really bad. Uh, 38% of people were able to pass this quiz. 62% failed. What is this telling us? In Canada, the next time we get a true-false quiz, don't read the questions. T, T, F, F, T. T, you got a better shot. 519-643-2222. If you want to weigh in on anything ever on the show, you can email Mike at 980cfpl.ca. You can tweet me at Stubbs980 as well. Before we go to our next break, we will hit the phones very quickly. Marilyn, you had a thought about Canadian history? Oh, well, uh, I know a little bit. But anyways, uh, do you want to know something about my dad's history? Absolutely. Okay. One of his ancestors was a highwayman. Okay. Well, you know what they did. Not exactly. Oh, good heavens. Well, they robbed stagecoaches. <laughs> and he knew somebody like this. Well, uh, was his 
it was one of his ancestors. Wild. Was it was a stagecoach robber? He was a stagecoach robber. And when I told my girlfriend that, she graduated from Western too. And she was really into romantic novels. And she loved, um, what is it, Emily Brunt and her book, and Wuthering Heights. And I told her about that. Oh, she thought that was so, so (laughs) wonderful. You know, there was a poem that we learned in school about the highwayman came riding. Do you remember that? I I don't. I must have missed this, but I'm glad that you're bringing it up, Marilyn. I'm going to look it up. Thanks so much for the call. All right, dear. (laughs) Bye-bye. All right, one more call. Richard. Good afternoon. How are you today, Mike? Pretty good, thanks. As you know, I love Canadian political history. And you know something, Mike? I have to agree with you, right? And I just can't pick on Ontario's education curriculum system. It's like this right across the country. We don't teach, right, our young people, right, in our school systems, right, anything about Canadian political history. I once had a teacher, right? I asked him about that, and I'll never forget what he said to me. Richard, he said, who is the teacher? He said, is it I or is it you? I said, it's you. He said, well, if you want to learn about Canadian political history and geography and that, he said, I suggest, he said, you get your thumb out and he said, you hitchhike across this country and he said, and you can learn it for yourself. Ask any grade six student, right, Mike, where was the first jurisdiction in Canada, right, to sign the first government-funded, publicly-funded health care services act in all of North America? What year, what month, and what date? Nobody would be able to tell you that it was on April the 1st of 1962. It was in the province of Saskatchewan and it was not Premier Tommy Douglas who was in office at that time. It was Premier Woodrow Lloyd, and it was Tommy Douglas's last Minister of Health, who was a part of Lloyd's cabinet as well. His name was former Premier Alan Emily, Emily, Emily Blakeney. And anyways, he was the Minister of Health at that time, and they signed the first publicly funded Government Health Care Services Act. And the doctors, they went out on a strike for 28 days, and I know all about it because my late father-in-law, my late mother-in-law, they lost a lot of good friends because of it, because they were very deeply divided on that issue at the time. But you ask any grade six student in this country today, Mike, would you have known that? I could have named the province. Other than that, nope, couldn't have helped you out in any way. And that's what I'm saying, Mike. We have to teach our young people more about Canadian political history. I'm not anti-American. I agree the right that we should teach them American history as well. But first, we should start with our own history. That's why Americans, right, are so great today, pardon the expression, is because they do know their history. Well, I think it's time, right, that we taught our young people our history, because believe me, we've got some good, colorful political history in Canada and a history that we can be proud of as well as be ashamed of you have a good afternoon mike well said richard thank you for the history lesson back in a moment in studio we are going to be talking with a man who has done a tedx talk and has now returned from it mohammed hamoud this is london live on 980 cfpl we are looking at Blue Jays baseball coming up as they take on Houston just after 2 o'clock. Got news coming up at 2 o'clock. Joining us in studio right now is a man who came by a couple of months ago to talk about Islamophobia and a TEDx talk that he was going to be giving. And that TEDx talk has now taken place. Mohammed Hamoud. Mohammed, welcome back to the studio. Thank you for having me back, Mike. Well, we definitely wanted to hear how things went. For anybody who doesn't know your whole story, I took a little bit of it at the beginning of the show and, and told it, but the overall way that, that you got into doing a TEDx talk, how did it come about? 
So the TEDx, uh, as I mentioned before, part nomination, part application. So I went in February. I pitched it. They liked the idea. And then they, um, from the 20 people that were shortlisted, three were nom- uh, chosen to come back. I was one of those three, and I had the privilege to go back and speak to an audience of uh, – there was a live audience of 400 people and then a simulcast at a nearby theater of 1,000 people. So it was uh, quite an interesting experience. And was the topic wide open? You could talk about anything? So the theme was Awaken Aware, and they wanted us to pitch an idea of uh, something that was along the lines of being awake and aware. And my topic was around reclaiming my identity, my reclaiming my name. And I, I brought into it uh, how that helped me to become more aware of my rights and responsibilities as, as a person in this community and as a Muslim, but also the rights and responsibilities of pe- the community where, where I live, right? Uh, and it was that level of awakening on a personal basis, but helping others awaken so that we can become more aware. The talk happened in Michigan. You can actually see it. We've tweeted out the link. You can find that at Stubbs980. And obviously, it it was a success. You did talk about a subject, though, that maybe we need to explore even a little more. Yeah. So, you know, Mike, uh, my wife always jokes and he says, hey, isn't the TED Talk done? Like, can't you now move on? And I, I, I jokingly say to her, you know, Yes, the talk is done. It was a one-time event, and I was fortunate to do that. Uh, However, the topic is a topic that lingers, and it's a topic of racism. And that's something that's in our communities, and I don't see it going away anytime soon, unfortunately. So um, I have a duty to continue to talk about racism and to make people aware of our responsibilities, but also about our rights. So uh, that's in part why I'm here today, Mike. It's not an easy topic to bring up because it has many serious sides to it, many serious and sometimes difficult, tragic stories. Where do you start when you're talking about racism? So, Mike, the talk itself was an opportunity for me to spark a discussion with the audience at that time and to continue that discussion with people. Um, A lot of the time, people who don't face racism or haven't or don't can't recognize what it looks like, um, have a difficult time understanding what it's like for people that do face racism all the time. And so we should not, we collectively as a community, as, uh, as Londoners or as Canadians, as humans, we should not think that we have the right to silence those who are on the receiving end. So free speech doesn't mean we have the right to say to people, hey, we can say whatever we want, and if it sounds racist, too bad. So we have to understand that people who are on the the receiving end of racism all the time, they feel the bigotry, they feel the discrimination, they have a right to be heard. There will be people who think, come on, all the time? It doesn't happen all the time. It does. It happens daily. I mean, last year, most of the events don't get reported. And those that do, some can be very tragic. For example, it's not just about the Islamic community, by the way, Mike. So last year there were in London, there was the uh, bomb threat on the Jewish synagogue, the Jewish center. This is unacceptable. Now, fortunately, it was fake. But fortunately, right? Uh, there was the massacre in Quebec City on, uh, in January of uh, 2017. There was an arson, a, a, a mosque in Quebec, uh, sorry, a mosque in Alberta was burned down. They attempted to burn it down 15 minutes after people were leaving that mosque. That scares me. You know, we have five mosques in London. Who's next? 
So in in talking about those sorts of things, those are, are very real events, but a lot of times it will channel back to something that certainly is real, but isn't on a scope of an arson or it isn't on a scope of a bomb threat. It's it's on the scope of, of a simple statement. Sure. Daily interactions, some things that people say. So racism and discrimination can happen to people of color. It can happen to gender. It could happen to, you know, based on your creed, right? So I may speak as a Muslim, but I speak to the wider community because my story is a story that anyone can interpret and, and, and use for their own cause, right? Uh, racism knows no borders, knows no colors, knows no creed, right? Hatred, unfortunately, permeates anything. Uh, I want to say that we could use love and respect and tolerance and acceptance to be able to have those conversations. So when we're not talking about tragic events like arsons or, or terrorist attacks that result in the loss of people's lives, then we talk about how do we take our daily conversations and turn them into opportunities to educate people. Whenever I engage in a, in a, a seminar or I write an article or I have a, a talk like this, I get emails. I'm very open on my social media. So people reach out to me and it's amazing what people have to say. Of course, there's a lot of bigots that reach out to me too and that's okay. I want to have those conversations. A lot of them are very intelligent people. I want to have those conversations. My goal is not to change their their thinking but at least to challenge what they're thinking and give them an opportunity to maybe think that there's a different approach, a different uh, perspective than the one that they currently hold. Mohammed Hamoud with us in studio. Mohammed gave a TEDx talk. Again, you can find the link to it at Stubbs980 on Twitter. Let's go to something like that. If you receive an email from somebody who's challenging something that you said, how are they presenting this to you? Some have very factual evidence. So they'll say, hey, there's a Muslim a man in Belgium who attacked a woman. There are Muslims like ISIS who are killing people. That, you know, so they'll, they'll use the actions of a minority or of an individual and they'll apply it to all that community, right? We're not a monolith, right? So people that, uh, people that do things in the name of Islam don't represent me. So I represent myself and I'm accountable for my own actions. Now, I have a duty to help expound what those actions are when people do carry out an action in the name of Islam. I have a duty to explain to people that they don't represent us and this is why. And how are they hijacking our, our, our faith or how are they using it for their own perverse interpretation of Islam? And that's basically what they do. Again, it's starting those conversations. It's helping to set things straight. But for a lot of people, Mike, they have short-sightedness, unfortunately, and, and, and they don't realize that our history is mired with racism. You know, we a lot of people say, wait a minute, we get along. We, we're, we're in the same community, right? Well, there's a couple of things that I like to call out. We, we share, we have a shared past with the United States, so our neighbors south of the border. And when you look at what's happening right now, uh, detention camps for young children, keeping them away from their family, how different is this than what we did in the concentration camps in Europe, right? How different is it what we do with the Japanese internment, Right. How different is it with what we are about to do with with these people and potentially what we could do to my community, to Muslims, right? It's not different. We talk about, um, you know, our Canada being a little better off than the United States. Our constitution is built on a racist ideology that took the indigenous people and put them into uh, reserves and put them into uh, boarding schools, right? We're just starting to excuse the expression, reconcile what we did wrong for many years. Do we have to wait 
hundreds of years to realize what we're doing to Muslims and other communities now is inhumane? I should hope not. Mohammed, thank you so much for being here today. Thank you for having me. Mohammed Hamoud. We'll wrap up London Live in a moment. This is Global News Radio 980 CFPL. We are out of time, but the Toronto Blue Jays are coming up against the Houston Astros. It will be Marco Estrada against Dallas Keuchel on the mound, and we will have the play-by-play for you. It will begin after Jacqueline LaBelle and news, which comes up in about 12 seconds from now. Thanks so much to Andrew Graham. Thanks to Devin Peacock. Jays and Astros to take you through the rest of the afternoon on Global News Radio 980 CFPL.